Uh, I went on Relevant once. After that, I co-host Relevant sometimes. And they it was after you'd been on. And so, of course, this is Relevant. They got all this, uh, you know, love wins, evangelical anger crowd. And Cameron on the podcast goes, for those of you who get so, like, mad about Rob, but you love Science Mike and the liturgists, those guys would be atheist bloggers <laughs> We're speaking with author and speaker Rob Bell about the release of his new book, What is the Bible? I went, I was a worship leader at a big church in Michigan, right down the street from Rob's church in Michigan. And I would go and sneak over. Because I, my soul was draining, and I didn't believe at all in what I was doing anymore. I'd go over there and be like, maybe Christianity can be something else. I would go to their church and listen to Rob. I was like, oh, and I got in trouble for going over there. And that was some life for us at the time. And then, yeah, the night that I met Mike, that Mike and I met, was at a Rob, one of your speaking tours for what do we talk about when we talk about God? Oh yeah, I remember that. And uh, you you brought me into the room. There you had this was like a group of people that had been at your your two day thing. Mike had his big beach experience and crazy mystical experience at your two day thing. You brought me in and said, "Mike, what does what's happening in the brain <laughs> when Michael here gets up in front of a large group of people and sings songs?" And people like lift their hands to a mythical construct in the sky and get all worked up. <laughs> and friendships were immediately formed. <laughs> I put a, a ball on a tee <laughs> and said, Mike, do you have a bat nearby? <laughs> so, yeah, we would, liter- the liturgists for sure It'd would be the exist. nihilist podcast. Well, we wouldn't have met. <laughs> That's true. That, wow. Yeah, we'd be separate. We might have met like at a, a free thinkers conference, like yeah. Sam Harris introduced. Or us. maybe you know, maybe maybe uh, Richard Rohr would have stepped in. And I don't know. I needed like that. <laughs> I needed that Rob Alley Oop to even get to Rohr. You know what I mean? Mm. Somebody has to go. It's okay to think this stuff is ridiculous. That's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Calm down. Calm down. It's okay. So thank you, Rob. <laughs> thank you for. I'm sure everybody My say, pleasure. listening to this would say thank you. <laughs> Rob just came out of the book. Congrats. Thank you. Oh, man. How has it been received so far? It's astonishing. I've heard. It's like book 10, and I've, it's never this kind of love. And, and it's the Bible. Yeah. It's 2017. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just finished this bookstore tour, and I'd be like, it's the, it's the Bible. My friend has a Tesla with a, <laughs> with a trunk in the front and the back. The other day, he gets an email in the morning that Tesla has fixed his brakes while he slept in the night through his home (laughs) Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? That's 2017. Syria might be using chemical weapons. The president is still campaigning. (laughs) (laughs) And I put out a book about the Bible. So I found myself interviewing interviewers like, this is the Bible. Why are you so interested in this? Even though I have my own reasons, but... Um, what I keep coming back to is that our culture is more and more all treble, no bass. Mm. 
So it's that thing when someone tells you, you heard about such and such. And normally the news cycle was two weeks. Then it got to be like 24 hours. But now you're with some people and they're like, you didn't hear the thing. And you're like, I guess I didn't. And you feel left out like you're behind. And then you realize that BuzzFeed posted it at 9 a.m. and it's 2.37 p.m. That's crazy. So the whole thing is speeding up. YouTube views, Instagram followers, like, and I think that's all doubling back on itself because when you then read a rant that's 5,000 years old and you realize that's my rant right now, Mm. that's my question, that's my confusion, that's my joy, when you engage with something that people have resonated with for thousands of years, that's like a bass note, and you actually are desperate for these. And otherwise, it's all this sliding down the surface of things. It's treble, it's blips, it's squeaks, it's this high end. Um, and I think that's what's happening is the immediacy of this world that we are. There's a new billboard down the street from my house. Amazon has a new billboard because they're delivering things within an hour in L.A. And it says from zero to happy in one hour. Oh. And actually, I would argue capitalism is not a plateau. Democracy mixed with capitalism mixed with technology is not a plateau. It actually has an arc. It takes you somewhere. It's like taking us somewhere Mm. from zero to happy in one hour. Amazon isn't even pretending. That's not even like, that's just saying we make crap and get it to you. Like it's, I think it's actually this system. It's a suicide machine, but it's a system. It's those Matrix movies became cliches and cliches become cliches for a reason because they were true. Right, (laughs) right. And this thing is actually killing the planet. It's killing people. It's killing joy in life. And when you realize that people have been wary of systems and challenging these sorts of things for thousands of years, you're now swimming in a different stream. The Bible to me is a collection of divinely inspired stories that point me towards the Christ. My relationship with the Bible is rather complicated. I've never been able to read it with the right lens. It's complicated. Good, but complicated. Complicated. It's complicated. It feels confusing, and I end up feeling beat up, but I'm trying to see it through new eyes. To me, the Bible is a... A fascinating and beautiful collection of different people's essays on the topic of God. I believe the Bible is full of truth, but not necessarily full of fact. But the broad scope of it is one of redemption and love. I have more hurtful emotions towards the Bible than I do positive emotions. Disgust and regret. Spiritual nourishment. I'll wrestle with Jesus and the Gospels. Opening wears me down like water on stone. Aged. Wrinkled. Marked. Used. I think the Bible tells us more the story of who and why than it does of how and what. Contemplated. Tear-soaked. Kissed. Deeply, deeply loved. My Bible and me. The Bible is hard. It's too big. I don't know where to start with it. I can't navigate my way around it. I don't like what it says about women. I don't believe a lot of the stories that it tells. At the center of it, though, is Jesus, and he is amazing. So I'm curious at your sort of backstory. 
with why the Bible stayed interesting to you. Mm. I I know some of your young story, but it seems like we all came from a world that like the Bible mattered because it was God speaking to humanity. And that's the revelation that you need for truth. And then you start asking questions and seeing things in different ways. And for a lot of people, you're like, oh, the Bible's not what I thought it was. And you move on. And you seem like in ways you've moved on, but in ways it's still incredibly important for you. What about your story kept you interested? Well, I tell in the book about one of my first sermons, this guy came up afterwards and he's like, you missed it. I was like, I missed what? He's like, you missed that whole thing. You did that whole passage about Jesus. But he says, you realize Jesus was Jewish, which... (laughs) I was like, no, he was a Christian. <laughs> I mean, I knew he was Jewish, but it was still like, what? He just goes into this thing about Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, so he's having a, a last supper with his disciples. That would have been a Passover Seder. There would have been four cups. So when he raises the cup, which of the four cups does he raise? Because if you knew which of the four cups, that would help understand the story. And when he says the poor will always be with you, that's a reference. You realize that's a reference. And there's actually that line where he says, that's a remez. You know what a remez is? And what about triple taxation? You know what a mikvah is? Because that relates to the, he just, just starts going off. And he's like, you're missing it. And so this guy's name was Richard. He started drop. I was probably 25. He started dropping these articles off at my office, like these photocopied articles by people I'd never heard of about the Bible, that this was written by real people in real places at real times. So lots of people told flood stories. And their general estimate in the Galilee at the time of Jesus is that people were taxed about 90%. So people cannot afford to hold on to their family lands. They literally don't have enough food, which is the feeding the 5,000. That's why people are following this itinerant, mystic, revolutionary rabbi, because they're hungry. Why are they hungry? Like no one ever, I never heard somebody say, why are they so hungry? Oh, because of this thing that was happening with the temple and the Herodians and the Romans. So all this stuff just came to life. And then that took me into, oh, this Jesus tradition that I sort of grew up around. It's almost like spirituality exists about six inches off the ground. Mm. We're kind of passing through here. Mm. The real action is somewhere else. But when I dove into the Jesus world and spirituality was a a dimension of the material, and we can even obviously take that apart a thousand ways, but it's like, oh, no, it was about sweat, soil, and sex, and surfing. I added that part. But it was 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 about this world and tikkun olam, the healing of this world, and olaba, olam ava, life in the age to come. Do you know what I mean? It all, it like went, it like, I picture it like sinking down into, oh, this is, and that the Bible was about politics and economics and how culture gets created and power and violence. But the Bible is actually about the things that everybody's talking about now. So I think that sort of, for me then, the Bible was no longer irrelevant. The first line of the Gospel of Mark is a ferociously political claim. So when people do that, like, sometimes you'll hear um, fancy pants Christian pastors be like, no, we don't get into the political. We just talk about the heart. And spirit. Well, then you probably should avoid reading this book because right. when Mark says this is the gospel, that's a loaded military propaganda term of the Romans, of Jesus Christ. He's the Christ. Are you kidding me? The Messiah. That was, oh my word, 
so loaded and subversive and dangerous. And that was making claims about everything. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when I began to realize that this Jesus tradition was actually really big and really wide, and a lot of the things that I was like, why would I go with this when people over here are talking about this? Oh, that's present in this tradition. Mm. So I think just realizing that the Jesus tradition was so much bigger and wider from the opening pages of the Bible, it's assumed that human beings have a proper relationship with the soil. Like, that's an assumption. And it's assumed that if human beings were to not have a proper relationship with the soil, then your culture, your economics, your poli- everything would fall apart. Mm. So like the exile, which is one of the major stories of the Bible— these people, Jerusalem is conquered. These people are hauled away. And in exile, they're trying to make sense of why did our culture get completely destroyed and we get hauled away like this. And the prophet Jeremiah says, oh, it's because you didn't let the land lie fallow. Hmm. One of the prophets in explaining the total devastation of the nation says, this happened to you because Leviticus, <laughs> you know what I mean? Leviticus yeah, right. says, farm the land for six years, let it rest for a seventh. This is sustainable farming practices. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So ideas that in 2017 people consider very progressive, sustainability, proper relationship with the soil, are actually not even named at some level. They're so assumed in the book of Leviticus, which is seen as primitive and barbaric. Mm -hmm. So I just kept noticing that people would want to reject their Christian heritage in favor of what appeared to be new and enlightened and progressive ideas that were actually fully present in their own tradition. They just weren't aware of it. It seems fascinating to me. Like, I guess the normative American Protestant way of approaching the Bible, God wrote the Bible through assistance to us, right? Who's us? Well, right now, Americans living in the 21st century or when I was growing up in the 20th. And that you would think that would cause the Bible to seem very relatable and very immediate. But the funny thing is that lens, if you really wrestle with the Bible's text, creates a distance. And so when you're in that perspective and someone says, no, these are stories written by people, assembled by people, you could someone argue what it means to be inspired by God. You know, God played a role or not, depending on where you are. But somehow, when you acknowledge that historical perspective, that ability to relate to how we treat the soil brings the Bible closer, not further away. And I get so frustrated. There's this coded language in the church about a high view or a low view of Scripture. And I hear this historical perspective often characterized as a low view of Scripture. But, you know, talking to you, talking to Pete Enns, when I was struggling with what the Bible meant at all, how it related to God, if it related to God, if it related to faith, it elevated my view of these stories. It made them alive. It made them relatable. It made them harder to read. I have to go grab another book and learn about this time in history to really unpack this. I might have to ask someone about language. But once you get there, the, I haven't. I I personally. This is weird for me to say because I was real anti-Bible for a few years, but I haven't found another collection of resources so relatable and applicable to so many situations, and certainly not 
that are so old. You got there, honestly. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I have a, when people use the word inerrancy about the Bible, I have a higher view of the Bible. I would not demean or degrade the Bible by using a word like inerrancy. Right. Yeah. Um, and th- you are completely correct. And also your opening line about a way of describing the Bible that God wrote it for, the number of assumptions in that understanding of the Bible, and this is what's so important for people to understand, the number of assumptions in that that are brand new ideas more shaped by modern philosophy than by how people have actually read the Bible. Or even when people talk about it's the Word of God. I don't question it. It's the Word of God. Well, where did you get this phrase, Word of God? Well, the Bible says it's the Word of God. Okay, if that's your litmus test for a sacred book, pretty much every sacred book says it's the Word of God. So that's a little bit dodgy. But what's more interesting is that Word of God was an actual Hebrew phrase. And in the ancient Hebrew understanding, words create new worlds. It's like that person who told you in middle school that you're good at something and you you held on to it for years because they they filled your imagination with what might be possible or somebody tells you it doesn't have to be this way or somebody tells words have this power and for thousands of years people have acknowledged that words have a creative power so in the hebrew consciousness when the divine creates of course the divine would speak it mm-hmm. so and one of the central things about the bible is it keeps insisting that all of creation is a word of god so when people say, well, do you believe it's the word of God? Well, what's funny is what the word of God says is that the whole thing is a word of God. Yeah. And that the word of God is a phrase that people use to try and give language to the sense of the unfolding, expanding nature of the universe and the redeeming, liberating power that seems to continue to flow through people and time and places. So some of these phrases that even that people use as like a litmus test or buzzword for what your view of the Bible is, those phrases came about, they're much more powerful and evocative than they're even given. They're turned into like buzzwords and just their balls are chopped off. Mm. Um, but you think about the phrase son of God. Son of God was referred to the Caesars or Caesar Octavius was a son of God. And the way that he was a son of God is he believed he had divine power and he went around flattening and destroying and crucifying anybody who resisted. So the phrase son of God was a figure of speech used to describe a particular way of creating the world, which is to destroy your enemies. That's how we make peace. Mm. So Jesus, as the Son of God, was a political, dangerous... You're saying there's a better way to make the world, not through coercive military violence, but through sacrificial love. Mm. So Jesus, the Son of God, versus Caesar, the Son of God. Who do you believe is the Son of God? Who do you believe is making a better world? So when people do, as I'm sure you've had the like, well, do you believe he's a literal Son of God? As a litmus (laughs) test of whether or not you're in the club, you're like, hold on. You just took an incredibly powerful phrase that describes a whole way of being in the world related to a dominant question in the first century. You chopped off all of its richness. You literalized it, thinking that's a higher form of truth, and then you turned it into a buzzword that makes me in or out of your tribe. Mm. I will not let you do that. Okay, the example that is coming into my brain is, let's say this piano, I told you guys some story. I said, this actually, Beethoven played on this piano. This was Beethoven's piano. You'd be like, wow, this is an important p- piano. I got a little little goosebumps just thinking yeah, about the it does. Wow. It okay. is from Stuttgart. But then, the way I hear you 
talking now, it's almost like, no, you don't understand. Like, not literally, Beethoven. At some point, it's like, oh, 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 he didn't play the piano. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's made of Beethoven. It's all made of the same stuff. And Beethoven played. What is Beethoven? What you know? I mean, it's like deconstructed it. It's become this whole, and it can still see it through that lens now and be like, wow, that's that. It, like Beethoven's atoms are part of this somehow, and the and the very essence that gave rise to Beethoven and music and isness gives rise to this piano. I can see, I can see that. But Beethoven may but have played it. Getting there. Oh, oh, you know oh. What I mean? Like how, going from God wrote this. Here's this flaming book floating in sky in this. Guy, basically, <laughs> to like, oh, but it's people that wrote it. Oh, but, but that's amazing. You know, like, is there not? Was there any sort of dip of? Oh, oh yeah. When I started, uh, realizing, oh, you start with what it is, and you just keep going into the center of what it is, and you get. In my experience, I got there. Oh, now I see what we mean by inspiration. I ended up at a much higher view of it, but I got there honestly. And that's the thing is if you go into, there are four different resurrection accounts and they don't quite line up. So you can see that as a sign of untrustworthiness. And lots of people say, see, a totally human book written by people trying to cover something up or fabricate something. Or you can go into the heart of those little differences you can think about four different authors writing to four different audiences, and you come out the other side and you say, oh, that does something to me. Mm-hmm. And, and you actually find yourself playing a different game, and, and you have a whole different set of questions. And for a lot of people, the humanity sounds like it's lowering it, but it's raising it. Because if you go into the humanity, you discover some called a spectral presence. Mm. And every person who says, why doesn't it condemn slavery? I would simply respond, why do you? Mm. Something within you believes that we shouldn't have slaves. For most of human history, up until about 200 years ago, everybody assumed that slavery was in the natural order of things. And then about 200 years ago, roughly, people decided that this was a horrific, barbaric thing and we shouldn't do it. It should be outlawed forever. So every person who condemns the Bible for it doesn't speak against slavery. Hold on, you do. So what is happening in human history, that we have moved from slavery is okay to slavery is wrong. What is that? Mm. Evolution, enlightenment, waking up, ethics, whatever you want to call that. What's fueling that? What's powering that? Your very condemnation of that affirms for me something's happening and we aren't just a random collection of cells. And that's where things get really interesting. Now, Beethoven may have played that. Yeah, and the know. story might be he well, played that piano. I think it was piano. probably built in 19-something. But... It looks like a 1983. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, trees. I would just say sometimes sometimes the power of a story is... Uh, I mean, there's a rock in the Holy Land that they believe Abraham would have walked on. There's a, there may have been a man named Abraham not? who actually walked on this rock. I mean, sometimes you are in a place and you just... That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Not in like a really mystical, esoteric, fuzzy sense, but yeah. in a, yeah. this is the Liberty Bell. It yeah. meant something to people for hundreds of years. This is the, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good anchor for your imagination. To anytime you're in a place that, a historical place, I feel like. Absolutely. It makes it come alive. Yeah. 
if you like the Liturgist podcast but wish it came out more often, I've got great news for you. We have a second podcast called The Liturgist Conversations that comes out every two weeks quite consistently, available to people who subscribe to our program on Patreon for at least $1 a month. If you'd like to go further in spiritual practice, we have another tier on Patreon that lets you get weekly meditations that are designed and guided by people who contribute to the work of the liturgists. And we also have a patron-only get-together events in real physical space. It not only allows us to continue to produce the liturgist podcast, but you get additional resources for practice and for community by joining us. If you'd like to learn more, go to theliturgist.com slash podcast and just click on the Donate Now button in the upper right-hand corner. There's different ways of reading the Bible, which for, I'm guessing, 8 to 12% of the listeners right now, that's a that's a big idea. That's a, still oh. a big idea. Yeah. But let's just go ahead and, and assume we can all agree there are different ways to read the Bible. Even if some of you would think there's only one correct way, there's still lots of ways the Bible is, is read. In the, the, the context of the day of Jesus, the way of reading the scriptures, there wasn't a Bible yet. <laughs> But the different scriptures, oral tradition, written tradition, involved uh, reading, reflecting, debating, discussing. Turning the gem. Turn it, yeah, right. Like all this this intense. And then in the you see that in the New Testament still. In the New Testament, to me, and, and I think many scholars agree, that you see a, a bit of a debate about what is this way a, what is it? What a does bit it of a mean? debate. It's the whole yeah. thing's a debate. I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to solve oh, okay. play it for the got hesitant. It, got it, got it. Yes. But so, and then we get to today, and we've talked about that normative view today. So this morning I went to breakfast down the street, <laughs> and I was walking back. It's a beautiful L.A. morning. Aren't they all? It was. Oh. If you're from Tallahassee, they're even more beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm walking back, and I like, I like East L.A. people a lot. Very open and this woman walks up to me beaming absolutely beaming big smile and she said be blessed it's like oh wow what a beautiful moment for the morning happened to you michael no you live here (laughs) does not happen to you this guy shows up first morning well but there was more to come story's not quite done yeah so she hands me these papers which i assume are are, uh, you know, right for the House of Intuition or something around. I was like, maybe I'll go check out the House of Intuition today. And then I see this beautiful little booklet titled Witchcraft, Necromancer, <laughs> Wizards, Familiar Spirits, Sorcery. I, by the way, I don't know if there's a, there's a thriving necromancy scene <laughs> those, in Los Angeles. Are those positive or ne- are, are those stated positive? Uh, I wasn't sure at first. Oh, right. Because by the tricky. design, it's yes. ambiguous. Yeah, the graphic it design t- takes you in a bunch of different directions. So when I open this pamphlet, there's nothing but scripture. There's no copy. There's nothing. Look at how he's turning it in his hands. Exodus twenty two eighteen. He did it like a magic trick at a kid's <laughs> birthday party. You just were the entertainment at the eighth grade 
all nighter. And then if you open it, I think in most multiverses, I'm a popular high school teacher. I'm convinced. <laughs> Exodus twenty two eighteen, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. I think that puts the cover in a very clear light. Oh, Leviticus nineteen wow. twenty six, ye shall not eat anything with blood. Neither shall ye use enchantment nor observe times. Practice divination. Regard not them that have familiar spirits. Neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And it basically oh, wizards is through. in the Bible? In this translation. That's amazing. In this translation, it's it's the Harry Potter translation. <laughs> Bible. <laughs> you don't remember Jesus going to Hogwarts? Um, so how in the world did we get from... A Jewish faith to a New Testament faith, which was about wrestling with the very nature of what this is publicly. I mean, my gosh, the 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 conflict between Peter and Paul is, is very Jewish and is so how total to harm, total continuity with the earlier story. Yeah, and the Jerusalem Council, like this, is all exactly how. Those people understood how you work things out. So you don't think they would have passed out witchcraft <laughs> brochures? What I'm saying is, how, in East Los how, Angeles? Did, how did we get to a view of the Bible like this, where we can take single verses and think if you hand it to a pamphlet, this is self-evident that your life is wrong? <laughs> yeah. Um, of all the wizards walking of around, all the wizards York. walking around. In your well, it's always funny to me when it like when it says like don't have sex with animals. Generally, there's only a prohibition because it's an issue. <laughs> so I'm always struck with just as a general rule. Oh my god! As a general rule, any prohibition you could just read parentheses. Apparently, somebody somewhere, this is an issue. <laughs> so when you see a pamphlet... Right, there's no sign in here that says, don't bang your head on the wall. Right, right. because this uh, is not right. a problem. <laughs> so as a general rule, when I'm approached by somebody who's solving a problem, my first question is, I'm interested that this person is living in a world where it's like, somebody's got to stand up against necromancy. <laughs> <laughs> so like, when you... you th- <laughs> I mean, we're all different. We all have our causes, and that's totally fantastic. But somebody somewhere was like, I'll tell you what, enough of that. I'm taking it to the streets. They saw that Pepsi ad with the Jenner girl and was like, that's it. That's my thing. Enough of that. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, wow. It's interesting to think about something like the Ten Commandments, which have, which mostly make the news now as somebody somewhere is trying to hang them in a public place. But it's interesting to me if you think about the Ten Commandments in terms of, oh, wait, these people were slaves, and they have been liberated from slavery, and they're now in the wilderness, which is code for a place that hasn't been co-opted by any entity or system. Hmm. Government, political, economic wilderness is a place where you meet the divine. To this day, you go to the desert it's an uh, it's a place that hasn't already been owned by somebody, yeah. um, which is where it's the place where people have met the divine because there's less in the way. So you think about the Ten Commandments then is these people were slaves and now they need to learn how to not be slaves. So you think about every person who's been in a dysfunctional relationship, just a couple of your listeners. <laughs> You're in a toxic relationship, then you got out of it and you got into a healthier relationship 
And you're having these experiences like, wow, when I tell them the truth, they tell me the truth, and there's this thing called trust. It's mm. like you're learning, mm. or, or somebody works in an office environment where there's all these rivalries and bitterness and all this history going back, and then they leave that psychotic workplace and they go to a new job, and then they come home and they tell their partner, like, it's so weird, like, when the people in sales say they're going to do something, they actually do it. You know, it's that thing that happens when you're learning how to be in a healthy work environment again. Mm. And essentially, this happens to us all the time where we have to learn how to be human again because of a previous experience that totally knocked our compass off, up wasn't up, and down wasn't down. So Ten Commandments in some ways are, here's how to be human. Here's mm. how to be a human being, not a human doing. Mm. So... In Egypt, your worth and value comes from how many bricks you produce. So the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods. In Egypt, the gods were okay with this relationship, where some people own other people. The gods are fine with this. And in Egypt, then, as a slave, the question of a slave is, are the gods okay with this arrangement? Mm. In Egypt, the answer was, yeah, they sanctioned it. So this god, which was a brand new idea in human history, isn't okay with this enslavement. So this is the God of the oppressed, the God of the underdog. This God can hear the cry. Brand new idea. These people are brought out and they're taught to be human. So what's the first command? You shall have no other gods, which is grace, Mm. grace, grace. At your powerlessness, when you were at your end, when you had no more strength or power, you were liberated from this oppression. So even you think about something like the Ten Commandments, it's, if you read it, these stories, real people in real times and real places found this helpful, moving, inspiring, confrontive, convicting. It becomes a completely different discussion. Now we're talking about, oh, if you read it in terms of people learning how to be human again, you've just, did it happen? Did it not? What's literal? You're now just left behind those questions because you're talking about, oh, the power of this is it's, It's like framing new neural pathways. You talk a lot about like how it relates to humanity and how we can become more human with it and see our humanity played out within it. How does the Bible relate to what you would think of when you say a word like divine? Right, because people have been using this word God for a long time. I would begin with God as a word that people use to try to name ultimate reality. So if you think about religions in terms of naming systems, I think it's much more helpful. People have been trying to name that of which you can't conceive of anything bigger, have been trying to name the ground of being, have been trying to name the thing that's behind the thing behind the thing. Even the fact that I just used three or four different ways to describe what people have even been trying to describe— is how you should probably think about the word God. And even within the Bible, lots of different words have been used for God. So the first name for God in the Bible, Elohim, is a plural word. (laughs) I mean, that's just fascinating. I am in Hebrew is a plural. It's like I-E-S or S in English. Like let us make man in our own image. Right. Right. So right away, you have an understanding of God as some sort of community of oneness, then you have the Greeks had this idea of a theos, small th, like a, the gods, the pantheons, um, Zeus, Hermes, etc. So 
when Paul is trying to name God, he takes their idea of a theos and capitalizes it. So that's he's essentially takes and makes a capital T. You have this idea of gods. That's a big move. Absolutely. And the reason yeah. why it's so interesting is because in Exodus, um, they're told that God's name is Yahweh. This will be my name forever. So this will be my name from generation to generation. So Paul finds himself in Lystra, which is a Greek city, and he wants to talk about God. But if he says Yahweh, they'll be like, who? They don't know Moses, the prophets. They don't know Torah. They don't know kosher. They don't know David. They don't know any of this. So what does he do? He says, well, they do have this idea of gods. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to capitalize their concept. So I'm here to talk to you about the theos. This is very clever on the fly. And it's also interesting that Jerusalem, he keeps going back to headquarters. He keeps going back to denominational headquarters. Mm. And there's um, some questions about what he's doing. It's almost like, what are you people doing out there? Changing the name of God. Um, And and it's almost like Paul's going, you almost feel like sometimes he's going, you know what, come join me. Yeah. Because obviously in your Jerusalem world where everybody knows Moses, everybody knows Torah, everybody eats kosher, everybody observes Sabbath, you can stay in your little language system because all of you have agreed upon the concepts and terms. Come with me out to Lystra where the city bowed down to worship me because they thought I was a god returning to them. Mm. And then you try to talk, which is, I think, the the tension a lot of people have is, I am in a world where the naming system that you take to be assumptive, nobody knows what in the world you're talking about. (laughs) Nobody knows. Hmm. And actually, I mean, a lot of my work for 25 years has been in the area of language and naming. And when people say, you're not using the right words, and I would just respond, because I'm being true to the tradition. The tradition is not Mm. to repeat the same words over and over again. The tradition is to read your world and do everything you can to put this in language these people might understand. That's Mm. actually their tradition. Mm. Or you think about how many people will go to a church service this Sunday and they'll sing, nothing but the blood can wash away, what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood. Is there any situation in your life in which (laughs) blood has washed Something clean. I mean, I bet the necromancer. (laughs) Blood is what you need to get washed out of something. Yes. So at some point in a blood guilt culture, 2,000 years ago, when your neighbor Jeff was offering goats on a Saturday morning, (laughs) blood guilt language was really helpful. Jeff and the goats. We don't. Could be a band name. Now, right, Jeff and the. We don't now live in a blood guilt culture. So. Songs about blood guilt, that's fine. It's, I have no problem. It's just don't wonder it's then. It's alien now. Don't wonder if people don't understand it. I always wonder if Paul would say, thanks for the props. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the idea wasn't that you would just yeah. keep repeating my images and metaphors, that I was just trying in my time and place to describe this. Yeah. That's profound. If you see like the the blood thing in the same lines as the capitalization of Theos, like he came in and spoke their language and their customs and their imagery. That's that's amazing. It makes it so much more beautiful. Right. And these these ideas that for many people in the spirit in the well, especially in the Jesus tradition, 
and certain swaths of the Jewish tradition that are like basic assumptions. Like, yeah, of course. Oh, no, that was a a radical, risky, interesting thing that person was doing at that time in trying to give expression. And when you take that and just make it like, yeah, of course, the, washing away the, the blood of a goat. Go, Oh, wait, wait, no, that came out of a place where that meant something very specific, and that was radical brand new thinking at that time. Mm. Yeah, the tradition isn't just endlessly repeating. Which is an interesting concept when you talk about the Bible specifically. I, You know, as a worship leader, I grew up writing worship songs, and there was always like this impetus to make sure enough scripture was in the song. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right. And... And what right. I've seen even now when we are a part of Christian environments where there's a lot of Christian music happening or whatever, the more buzz phrase, scripture, Christianese talk that the person from the stage can use, it creates this sort of immediate safety and social bonding on, perhaps, on part Correct. of the crowd. But it shuts down any sort of critical or, or much thoughtful engagement with what's being said. I mean, I remember there's a huge Christian band that I just was at this thing and they're playing and getting up and saying like, how many know Jesus can never be shaken? Everyone's like, yes. And I was like, what, what does that mean? Does right, right, know what right. That Tribal means? affiliation. Like, yeah, the world is changing. The world is scary. The world is frightening. The plate tectonics are shifting. But here in this space right now, we are going to free you from having to wrestle with any of that. And we are going to repeat slogans and phrases that will trigger different reactions in your brain that will make you feel like for a few brief moments, there's a safe island of calm and security. yeah. yeah. Which so is, how does the Bible, how do you interact with the Bible in a way that doesn't, it doesn't self-defeat, where it, it doesn't just become a set of cliches and safe, safety, this is, this is God's word, so I can be, you know, like, for some people it feels like it can actually be a way of shutting absolutely. down thought. Absolutely, and what's interesting is people, oftentimes it is, if I can just quote some Bible verses, then it's like, then we'll all go, oh, we'll relax, because we're safe. Yeah. So uh, just pick any book. Romans. We'll just quote some books in Romans about how I'm not ashamed of the gospel, whatever. But what's interesting is Romans is in some ways a compelling argument about inclusivity. Because in Romans, if you trace the arc, it just moves wider and wider and wider and wider. And Romans ends with ends with Paul in Rome. Now, Rome was the ends of the earth. It ends with him in a rented house in Rome and he's talking to whoever is interested about the kingdom of God. So even if you follow the trajectory of the book of Romans, it is about interaction with the broad spectrum of humanity around the depth of being and around what is this idea of the divine and what does a world look like that's been ordered by the divine. So you just take any book that somebody would use, you know what I mean? You hear them quote it, you hear that person shout it from the stage, everybody goes... Oh, good. Be still and know that I am God. You're right. Okay, be still. Let's talk about stillness. Let's talk about silence. Let's talk about... I mean, you just go one inch into this book and you are... Mm -hmm. You are going to find something disruptive, something electric, something... Oh, how about the uh, rejoice? And again, I say rejoice. Yeah, there you go. That's almost like a something crocheted on a pillow of a cliche. This is a dude who's been beaten multiple assassination attempts, shipwrecked, hungry. He's had lots of people want him dead. Hmm. 
and he's in chains. He's in prison. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. So you can see that as a, a denial of the difficulty of life. You can see that as a blind, naive, hey, everything's going to be fine. Or you can read it, I think you ought to read it, which is, this is a man who has been to the worst depths of human suffering. And he pushed through. He's had a dark night of the soul. He left the village for the hero's journey. And now when he says rejoice, mm. it's got some stuff to it. It's got some weight to it. It's got some gravitas. He's saying, I'm in prison I have almost died lots of times. He even earlier basically says, sometimes I just want to leave. It's so hard. But here's the thing. You do have this moment. And even in chains and prison, with your back against the wall, you can decide to swim in the stream of joy. Now that's just something interesting. And oftentimes what you're talking about is that like, woo-woo, Jesus stuff, is let's all get together. And if we just shout some phrases that we all are comfortable with we can keep our pain at bay we don't have to talk about how much right now much of us think it's all probably made up (laughs) you know what i mean yeah we can just say this stuff we'll all feel good and we can spend another day avoiding what's actually going on inside each of us because if we open that door that's terrifying It is terrifying. Yeah, so... Like, it's genuinely the transition for me out of that thought space, which I spent the vast majority of my life in. Yeah. And was, frankly, it seemed like a very happy place. I didn't realize it was all trouble. <laughs> right? If you've never heard bass, it's it seems fine. It seems fine. And the transition, the first time you hear a bass note, is not necessarily joyous. It's terrifying. Right, right. It's really, truly terrifying. And I, I um, <laughs> as part of re-engaging faith and re-engaging the Bible, it took a couple years of being a mess of a person. Absolutely. It took, uh, I mean, some, some of my dear friends, I would call them and talk about the same thing over and over, stuck in these loops. Yeah. And uh, it's a very difficult transition. So I... And I think some people intuitively know that. So right. why wouldn't you read the Bible with your commentary in your Sunday school class and say the same phrases and enjoy the social identity? If I go into this, for many people, this will have implications for my family, yeah. for marriage there. I remember I was the pastor of a mega church, which now when I say that word, it sounds like a sounds like like a disease or a transformer character but like a mega church it's just a funny phrase it's such an odd phrase but um i remember realizing oh this doesn't this whole framework of how we know things doesn't work for me anymore and i have to follow it i have to i have to pursue this line of inquiry mm. otherwise i'm going to be just spouting things that i don't 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 know what i'm talking about mm. and i remember chris and i talking i remember just very straightforward conversations i have to keep going and follow this wherever it goes and if that means then i lose it all 
We had a running joke from Spinal Tap about selling shoes. I could always sell shoes. <laughs> you look like a size 11. Um, we were like, well, well, then maybe I'll just go sell shoes. But I would have my integrity. I'd have my soul. Because <laughs> I noticed a number of pastors, this is in my late 20s, early 30s, who it wasn't working. But they got like this, this massive paycheck yeah. and benefits. And they were like, and they would say things to me like, dude, I, I love your book. I could never say anything to somebody. I mean, they would come. I would say they come at night, Nicodemus style. I'm sure you've had this happen to you guys countless times. times. So, but I remember distinctly, going back to what you were saying, oh, if I follow where this is taking me, it could lead to all sorts of places. I don't know where it's going to lead, but I will be alive. But I'm alive. And yeah, and I, I understand for some people, if I go there, I don't know where that might take me. And something within me knows there's all this truth just behind that door. But if I crack that door open, the amount of things that may get disrupted that really matter to me, which you guys know about. It's important for me. I actually say that because it's important for me to, to remember that. Because otherwise, I don't know about you all, but I'm like, what's the problem? Let's go. Right. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. And I compress years and years and years of the path to, come on, what's your problem? But actually, it, it's a long, slow unfolding, and people need to be given the space. Well, and on the other like flip side of that, a lot of my uh, atheist friends, and the show has a lot of atheist listeners. Hi, friends. They say, you know what? <laughs> we like what you're about. We don't really understand the Bible thing, why you care so much about it. I've I've certainly had a lot of... Uh, skeptical friends who like why do you why do you hold this book with reverence at all I mean so it's an interesting historical artifact there's lots of those but I think that's precisely what we're talking about for for literally millions of people tens of millions of people the way they understand this book directly impacts their relationships with friends and family yeah and the most fundamental ways yes. They process reality. Yes. It, it couldn't be more significant. Right. Right. Even just sociologically. Even yeah. If, yeah. Even if you don't put any stock in it yourself. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that make you like it, though, personally? My, I that's part of what makes it so interesting to you. Because you like the Bible a lot. I'm a huge fan. Four you stars get... on Amazon. It's a great, great, uh... <laughs> it's a great thing. I read it every day. I, I'm not embarrassed about that anymore. I'm back to a daily, daily Bible reading guy. This Lexio Divina thing? Why did nobody ever tell me about this? You don't have to obsessively try to get to the end and memorize it, and you don't have to treat it like you can just take a little bit and savor today and see how this might relate to me. Right. Oh, man. Right. That's great. One of your answers is very mystical, and a lot of people approach it like an owner's manual. Which is the worst metaphor ever? Have you ever read an owner's manual for anything? A terrible metaphor. But but one of the problems for like I love Rumi and I love Rumi's Big Red Book, and for the past couple of years I've read a page in Big Red Book every day because mm. it does some, it opens me up in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people approach the Bible with this incredibly narrow modern linear logical set of filters and then go i don't know why i would because there's parts of your life and soul that don't fit on a spreadsheet and there is no algorithm for well hold on let's not get crazy (laughs) (laughs) 
That's, like when that's the, heresy for him. Like what when the, the Jesus story about the forgiving father and the son wanders off and goes home and throws a party, and the older brother won't join. And the God character, the father character, says to the older brother who won't join the party, who's like, all this time I did all this for you. And the, the father has this great line, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Mm. Like, why does Mike find the Bible interesting? Because you take that phrase, you are always with me, everything I have is yours. And you think of all the lines Jesus could put on a God character. That's the line he puts on. You are always with me. Then they they have new images of Jupiter. It's like if Jupiter could speak. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. You know what I mean? But like that's the richness. Oh yeah, we're now in other categories. Read it in this. It's the American thing. Who am I in the story? Clearly the hero. Clearly the protagonist. Mm. You're American. You're always the protagonist, right? But in that story has such richness. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a, a bishop in the Methodist church, and he was talking to me about that story of my life, and he turned the gym for me a little bit because he started talking about the older brother. Absolutely. And the older brother's experience. The older brother's feeling like, I'm faithful, I'm serving. Why is he the star of the party? And when the dad pulls him aside, it's, what's the problem? And he says, he said, everything I have is yours to the older brother, right? And I thought about all my wonderful friends in the evangelical church and in the Baptist church who think I'm nutty now and how much anger and resentment I had towards them over how they processed my journey and my experience. Mm. But to place them in that story as the older brother who never left the farm, right? It created such a profound moment of insight uh, that, that led yeah. to forgiveness and yeah. led to healing. Yeah. Because there's such... De- I I mean, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I love David Foster Wallace. There is great literature in the world. But there's something about this particular collection that has a truly exceptional depth. Yeah, and that might be the best way to talk about the Bible. When someone's like, why? Like, maybe the most honest and maybe the most intelligent way to talk about the Bible would be like, I don't know, it's done something to me for a long time now. These stories do something to me. And when we were talking about inspiration, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by um, Maybe in 2017, the way the new language, the words you might use to to try to get at words people have used about the Bible for a while. It does something to us. It, it, it's done something to me. It opened me up. I tried that with the subtitle of the book. It actually has transformed the way I think and feel about everything. Mm-hmm. It actually has done that mm-hmm. in some sort of slow, marinating sort of way. I just think about creation. I think about nature and environment. I think about myself and I think about my anger and rage and all the stuff that boils within me. I just think about it all differently because of this collection of books it right. actually did something mm. um stratton and i hi stratton um stratton and i've often talked about the book titles what is the bible and my answer if somebody what is the bible my answer would be what what does it do my answer is actually a question it does something if you read it this way 
Mm. It does something to you. And maybe not. It's interesting how many people need to set it down for a Mm -hmm. long time. So I've been doing this bookstore tour in which I do a whole bit on some of the Bible tour, by the way. How much fun is that? (laughs) I'll do a whole thing on the need. Some some of you just probably need to put it down for a while. And that's totally normal. It's like a toxin and just let it flush itself out. And maybe it'll never flush out, but it's just funny to be doing a book about the Bible and telling people, you know what, you probably need. And some probably should only read books about the Bible for a while. It took me like 30 months, Bible detox. Sure. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm pretty, I don't feel toxic with it. I You're feel, just meh. I, I feel kind of like, meh. The Three Amigos was a great movie. I really enjoyed watching it. Right. I occasionally like watching it now. Not very often, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, uh... yeah, that's so good. You're like, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. Yeah, you can dig I really no deep problem. into it and get no really strong. great stuff out of it. Sure. I imagine you can. I can also, Same with all Led Zeppelin albums with the... or whatever it is. <laughs> exactly. Right? You know yeah, what I mean? Totally. I'm sure if I got the box set, I'd be like, wow, these guys are really good. But I, I really just read I'm through not the, yeah. going to. Read the scholars yeah, about on their music. Yeah, yeah. And I actually... That is like totally really normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I get that. Yeah. A friend of mine read the Bible. He's like, man, your book, it's so good. And I really don't care. <laughs> he's, a pre- he's a priest. And where he's at is yeah. he's just been talking about the Bible for so long. He like needs, there's a whole number of reasons why. Probably just needs, just needs a reboot. Just needs a like... I seem to go have a life outside of this life I've been having because I've been doing this for a long. I don't know. But um, there's lots of really valid reasons why. And I just loved it that he felt free because that is just, ex- I was like, yeah, I totally get why you should. I was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't. You right now need space. For me, the Bible is the foundation of all Christian orthodoxy and it's carried this faith movement since its advent. My relationship with the Bible is one of pain discomfort and disbelief i've really actually come to love the bible as soon as i was able to let go of trying to figure it out if we don't know our history we're condemned to repeat it and i think that's the greatest purpose of the bible since deconstruction began for me i've had to put the bible down it seems like i need an advanced degree in theology to be able to read the bible without abusing it it's one of genial frustration adoration and straining paradox. It's an untamed line in the worst way sometimes. I tend to think of it as a book of clues regarding God's character. I, now I kind of see it as another book and I deconstruct it and yeah it's, it's really hard to know what truth is. For me, interestingly enough, the most inspiration I get is when I actually see it echoed in other sources. That yeah. I, I'm reading a lot of Sufi mystic poetry these days, and when I see something that I also saw, but now I can see it right. through this other lens and through this other like, and it calls up something. Or when I hear somebody like Ram Dass talk about Christ and something he said, I have the same. And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, and that that does still spark something in me, like. I just had that same, I just uh, reread Grist for the Mill, and when Ram Dass talks about Christ consciousness, every time it was doing something to me. Yeah. It was like, like, bing, like a tuning fork. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, I love that note. Yeah, I had the same thing. Well, it like calls out the underlying reality 
that was underneath the the myth and culture of my relationship yep. to it. Seeing yep. it from a different culture, speak of it in a different way with a slightly different metaphor and different language, you can see the commonality and feel like you're connected to what it's actually getting yes. at. Yes. Yeah, and I have so many friends, wise friends, open-minded friends, who, if you identify in some way with this very broad tradition we call Christianity, and if you say Sufi or Ram Das or Buddha or the Tao, or you use other metaphors, they get very nervous, they get very anxious. They're fine if in an interfaith context. I'm not talking about we need to convert them, but that's what they talk about. It's fun to go have a feel very worldly and have dinner, but then return to our space. But like, I wouldn't be able to read the Bible today if I hadn't read a lot of Alan Watts and listened to a lot of Ram Das. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I got back. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I needed someone that, A, spoke in language differently enough from what I was jaded and cynical about. Yes. And two, could offer me a different perspective on an approach toward the divine. And I, I worry that one thing we do with the Bible is we elevate it, we make it a stand-in for God's self or the divine, and then we become obsessed with defining the borders of what is acceptable in a move towards the divine. And if, if, if this idea of a cosmic Christ has any merit, that there is this part of God that is always inviting the creation towards reconciliation, then surely anything that helps people move towards peace growth and health <laughs> must be of Christ. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. And yeah. and I think for a lot of people listening that's a really easy step to take and I think for other people that's a little frightening because it feels like a demotion of something that that they hold special. But I I I just wanted to reference that because if we some people get nervous to say Ram Das, but I think I think Christ is in all those things, which is in itself, to the skeptic in my brain, a ridiculous statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, like if Paul went, if Paul had gone to India instead, would he have corrected? And I, I don't want to read. I don't know. I'm, I'm sincerely asking because I don't want to throw my postmodern deconstructed lens into the thing. That happened um, a long time ago. But the record, <laughs> he already did. <laughs> We're just discussing shades and gradients. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but he comes across Brahman Shiva Vishnu Trinity. Does he say, no, that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Or does he say, wow, you can see? Correct. Yeah. Yes, all things are yours. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. People have been trying to name reality for thousands of years. Why in the world would it even be remotely shocking that people would have stumbled upon the same truths? And then they would have named it through the filter and texture and colors and shapes of their particular world. That is the, yeah, like you should just start there. And then it should completely never shock a person that these people over here are talking about something that's helpful or interesting or insightful. Mm -hmm. Like that, if there's anything, the New Testament, I mean, the biblical writers are bringing up again and again. It's, oh, look over there. Cyrus, the Lord says, is my Messiah. Cyrus was a pagan military king 
who is called my Messiah mm. by the Lord. <laughs> mm. So over and over and again, whenever it gets narrowed, it always gets widened. Whenever it gets particular, you're always reminded of universals. We're told that the story is about Abram and a new tribe, and from this new tribe is going to come a savior. Chapter 12 of Genesis, right away. Chapter 14, Melchizedek shows up, and he's a priest of... What? Melchizedek? He's... Ble- what? what? Who? Some crazy uncle shows up who has a direct line. Mm. So the story, at the moment when it's most, this is a particular story about a particular tribe, two chapters later, it subverts the particularity with some guy who shows up who he's the one doing the blessing. So anytime someone does that, like, well, I'm kind of suspicious of that, I go, oh, you're sort of missing the fundamental arc of the Bible, which is to affirm it wherever it shows up. Always widens the scope. It's never threatened. Never threatened. All things are yours. They can't see me happy dance in our land. Sorry about that. That's your happy dance. I'm not a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) More of a happy sway. Where are you at personally with language about God? Is there any thing that you would say, like when you talk about ultimate reality, for you, what are the helpful metaphors and language right now that you would sort of speak of your re- your relationship with ultimate reality? Uh, the image that comes back to mind again and again is music that you hear. Mm-hmm. And you just want to open up the windows and open up the door and you want to hear it more and you want to hear the fullness of it and then you start to move to it. And then you're like, want to invite others to hear it and then move with you and pretty soon you're all dancing. Generally, images come to mind. I also... There's a question. There's a big bang 13.8 billion years ago. 13.7, 13.9. We'll just, next year we'll have another number maybe. <laughs> Mike can tell us more on that. But particles to atoms, to molecules, to cells, to systems, to more complicated systems, to animals, to humans, and then 13 billion years in to the history of the universe as far as we know it, or at least this universe we should probably add. You have consciousness, the ability to stand outside of oneself or to reflect on the whole thing. What is that? Mm. To, to see that unfolding, even the number 13, which to me is just so weird. Why at this point in the story? And then you have over the past hundred years, a mapping of stages of growth and consciousness, which has never happened. Archaic, magical, mythical. I mean, you even have for the first time, People identifying that there are specific six to eight stages, all the way to integral and super integral, stages of growth that human beings go through consistently. Like, how is this happening? And how are we now knowing what we're knowing, which no one ever talked about until just the past little bit? Mm. And that to me, to talk about God, I begin with what do we know? We know that this thing has been unfolding and growing in depth complexity and unity that somewhere in the story 13 billion years in somehow it developed the ability to reflect upon itself you are the universe observing itself or alan watts Mm. you are something the universe is doing in the same way that a wave is something the ocean is doing (laughs) dinosaurs weren't writing poetry or rocks were not saying i just want my life to matter (laughs) this is all new So what is happening? Where is this going? Why is it unfolding the way that it is unfolding? And to me, 
I begin with to talk about God in the modern world. If you don't start there, people generally, whatever. Mm. But that is the question to me that sets at the heart of the whole thing. I mean, let's go back to slavery, women's rights. Let's go back to human trafficking. Why do you think human trafficking is wrong? People used to human traffic all the time. They still do. Why do you think it's wrong? What has happened in the unfolding of the universe that you look at that and think it's wrong and should be left behind? And in the same breath, think about how we treated women. And then eventually women got to vote. And now people are talking about a woman being president. So we all say, thank God we've made so much progress. But you can't affirm the progress without affirming we still have a long way to go. So what is it that you constantly place yourself on a spectrum of, thank God we aren't stuck back there, but we still have a long ways to go. What is that movement? And to me, if you start there, now you, I would call that something. I would call that something. I would name that. And it doesn't now then surprise me that people have been trying to name that for thousands of years. And that when you use the word God, you're entering into a long tradition of human beings trying to name How can somebody know God? <laughs> oh, you love that. <laughs> and we're talking to We just got to say that one like right at that. the end. Just... <laughs> the, the word no to me means personal experience. Mm. So when I look at my life, it just keeps getting more. It's almost like a camera lens that was real narrow and then it just kept backing up and you just kept seeing more and more and more and more that's how I think about it Mm. when I look at my life my consistent enduring experiences of that which I previously wasn't aware of Mm. and then it went from 2D to 3D then it went from black and white to color and just when I thought I knew all of a sudden I realized I didn't know a thing And then when I thought I knew that thing, it got even better. So I go back to my own, what do you call that? That's been my experience. It's a lot of discussion about God, a lot of debates, a lot of believers versus not believers. To me, it's just just clanging symbols. It's not interesting. And oftentimes to me, the debate sounds like people who haven't, aren't talking honestly about their own interior experiences. A lot of it just sounds like personal stuff projected onto the divine. Your God, you shape your God and then your God shapes you. A lot of the discussion to me is like, no, that's about how your parents died when you were young. No, that's about that girl who dumped you. Let's <laughs> honestly, a lot right. of the time it just sounds like clanging or it just sounds like Cartesian philosophy from about 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. You're just arguing. You just attached God or your rejection of God to something a philosopher said in France 300 years ago. <laughs> I mean, a lot. I mean, obviously, honestly, yeah. to me, most of the discussion is just really boring because no one's talking about the actual interior thing that is happening inside of you and why you cling to this or don't cling to this or believe that or don't believe it, whatever. Or the incessant need for certainty or the insistence that no certainty can be known. All that to me is like... It's all personal.
The book is What is the Bible? The author is Rob Bell. It's available everywhere books are sold. If you'd like more information, visit robbell.com. Rob, thanks for joining us today. It's I'm so happy. You know what I am? I'm proud of you guys. Because both of you, you went through stuff and you've chosen to take all of that and create a new world. It doesn't surprise me that people resonate on such a large scale. I'm happy to know you and I'm really, you just are doing something so great. And you could have been bitter and cynical and just become one more person who's like, get that. But instead you're like, let's make something bizarre. Let's hang some flags. You know what I'm saying? Let's wear some beads. Let's do some events. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like you went the other direction. And I mean, I know all the time people thank you, but there's obviously been cost because there always is. But you all were willing to pay it because of the joy. And that's just awesome. So I'm here to say thanks. Keep going. It means a lot. Thank you. Well, science Mike Misting there at the end. <laughs> We'd love to hear your impressions, comments, and questions related to this episode. Visit theliturgist.com slash podcast to find the comments section for this episode, or you can reach out to us on social media. On Twitter, we're at the liturgists, and on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash the liturgists music for this episode was provided by gunger and tyler chester and we'd like to thank madison chandler Corey pig and greg nordine for their contributions to the program hi science mike and michael gunger have been your hosts thanks for listening everyone